Hello, and thanks for tuning in to our Monday Night Godcast, an immersive and interactive discussion of the Bible. If you're listening to this right now, then I know for a fact that God has something for you. That's right, you. I'm glad you're here. Let's dive into God's Word and see what He has in store for us today. Two, 
What is the pie chart that we're doing again? Um, just just giving up our time, or are we doing equal? Yeah, I, whatever, however you want to do it. Okay. Whatever makes more sense to you. If you want to break it down by time, importance, however you want to break it down. So, great thing is there's no right or wrong answer. A lot of people can't even cheat off the person next to them because it doesn't make sense for them. Well, Alan is cheating off of them. <laughs> Just to learn, to, not to learn, but to see how to spell things. You know, <laughs> as if I spelled it right. <laughs> wrote son, friend, and then employee, but crossed that out and wrote craftsman, because that sounds better. <laughs> <laughs> cool, cool. Nice. Uh, All right, anyone else? I wrote friend, sister, comms officer, student, daughter, and lastly, maybe most importantly, booty. Okay. And my chart, I started drawing a flower, and it was like that. <laughs> Which one's the biggest category? Student. Student, okay. Yeah. Is that based off of importance or time? That's based off of time. Okay. Cool. Anyone else? That's what my account looks like. And I kind of had to redraw my line by the time I got to the end. I was like, oop, there's some extra space. But my biggest one is husband. Um, and then, you know, boss, employee. And then friend, next biggest category, Bible study leader. Brother, son, and I wrote Funkle, because I'm the fun uncle, so I'm a Funkle. <laughs> okay, um, all right, last chance. Anyone want to share what theirs looks like? Mine says, fiance, Christian, forklift tech, brother, son, grandson, goofy. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, is anyone um, surprised by what they put down? Is, does anything stand out? Like, hmm, actually now I'm thinking about like how much time or how important these categories are. You know, Maybe I thought this area was more important, but actually kind of looking at it, it takes up more or less time or importance. Or does everything kind of match up to what you guys thought? 
tight a pencil and eraser. Now. <laughs> the more I think about it, the more I have to change it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, the same because I was like thinking. I never really thought about titles as much. Mm -hmm. But thinking about it, it's like yeah, there's some importance to a title, I guess. Um, so, raise your hand, how many people had, um, you know, brother, sister, you know, some type of sibling on there? Alright? Got too many siblings to count. How many people had something related to their work on there? A title related to their work? How many people had something related to, um, a friend? Uh, what about, um, something titled to being in a relationship? <laughs> what about something, uh, another family title besides sibling? Okay. Um, any other titles out there that I missed that you would want to share? I put down granddaughter. Okay. I put down grandson. Alright. And a mentee. I put myself down as a mentee. Okay, cool. I put mentor. <laughs> you could have more than eight. Uh, I put it more than eight because I disobeyed his. his I, I, I said you could do more. You could do less. All right, anything else? Any other one-off titles out there? Where I put cat owner. Cat owner. Okay. Yeah. There you go. That's, that is pretty time-consuming. There you go. I had youth leader, worship leader, uh, and sales. Well, that was you said. Okay, so you said job. Uh, yeah, that, that's most of it. Okay. Um, any other one-off titles out there that haven't been mentioned that you would want to share? Godfather. Okay, Ooh, cool. Nice. Anything else? I feel like you got something. <laughs> no? Okay. Anyone else? Um, anyone have, anyone write down Child of God? We're done Christian. Christian? Okay. I wrote Child of God in person. You did? Okay. Cool. So, the whole reason for this, you know, little exercise was just to kind of see what areas of our life that we tend to focus on, you know, the um, how much time, how much importance, how much energy, how much, you know, focus that we put into all these different titles that we have on us. Some, some titles are titles that we put on ourselves. Some are just, you know, you're born as a sibling, you're born as a son, a daughter, a, you know, a brother, a sister, uh, whatever. Other, other areas we, we choose or we, we work toward, you know, all these, you know, almost everyone here put in something related to their job. Um, a lot of people had, you know, extra things on there. A lot of people had friend on there. And um, these are all great titles. Um, but it's, you know, as, you know, a room full of believers in here, it's, it's interesting to think that a lot of times we don't think of ourselves in, in certain ways as, you know, I'm a child of God. And that, that is a title that I hold. Um, I know I, me doing this exercise, I didn't know what my goal and what I was going to be saying after this. I didn't include Child of God um, because um, that didn't first come to my thought um, when, when thinking about these things, besides doing it in the, the way of I know what I'm going for here. Um, so to me, it's, it's a little like disheartening that like I didn't even put it on for myself. Like I didn't even think of that as one of my top titles of like I'm a child of God, or you know I'm you know I'm actually gonna think about it and put Christian on there or something like that. But um, you know a lot of times we you know we focus on these things and, and we can see like some of these areas take up a lot of time or it's really important. And other areas, um, you know, it might be.
might be like, you know, by the time you get down to the last part of the pie chart, you're like, oh, we only got a little bit of room left for this area, but actually, you know, that is kind of important to me too. Um, and, you know, we see that we, or at least for me, there, there's a, a, a struggle of, you know, I have all these things on here, and, you know, those big chunks of mine were, you know, husband, you know, my, my work status, and, you know, friend, and it's kind of like all these other things are kind of like, here's, here's the extra time I've got left, the, left, the extra energy, the extra importance I have left, uh, which, you know, I would like to be, you know, more of a uncle. I would like to be, you know, around my family more, be more of a son, more of a brother. You know, I'd like to put more time, more effort into these other areas as well. And I also want to, you know, do this. I also want to do that and hobbies and activities and traveling. And, and I also want to spend more time with God. But there's only so much time, only so much energy, so much effort to available to put in everything. So it's a, it's a matter, I think, of how we uh, prioritize those areas. You know, I think that God, I believe that God intended for us to hold these titles. There's nothing wrong with these titles. It's not bad. It's not, you know, the goal of this isn't to shame anyone. Like, ha, you didn't put child of God, bad Christian. is not the point at all. But these are all important things. God, you know, God tells us to be, you know, to, to honor our mother and father, to, to be, you know, good, you know, husbands, wives, you know, relationships and, and all these things. And um, all these things are good. They're all, they're all from God. So, my, my question, kind of more so for myself, was how do I get more God in here? Because I'd like more God in here than the areas that I left, the little bit of air that I had left by the end, you know? So, we're going to look into a little bit of that solution. And I think part of it, to kind of make it plain and simple, easier said than done, is to bring God into each of these roles. To bring godliness into being a husband. To bring godliness into being a boss, an employee, a friend, a Bible study leader, a brother, a son, an uncle. To bring godliness into all these titles that we have that are important to us. To bring God into the center of it. kind of looking at, you know, being a child of God is kind of, you know, you categorize it under identity of, you know, what we're, what we're looking at here. So our identity in Christ is and should be so important that it impacts all these other areas. And I think for a lot of us it does. You know, it, a lot of us it goes without saying and um, you know, but that impacts how we are as all these titles and it impacts, you know, how it is when we go to work, how it is when we go to the gym, how it is when we are just in the neighborhood. And in the bad areas too. The areas that you're like, I am not writing down that. I don't want to even be classified as this. Like, God should be in all those areas too. You might write down, you know, line number 23, Road Ranger. Left laner, you know, or whatever it might be, or you don't really want to write down that area, but God should be in that area too. So I think all of us understand what it means to be a child, like a physical child born from a mother or father, uh, as.
as babies or toddlers, we're completely dependent on our parents for everything, right? To, to love us, to feed us, to teach us, to help us grow and eventually turn into responsible adults who can take care of themselves. So we're going to look into a little bit more of the spiritual side. What does it look like to you know, be a child, to be a child of God? Last week we were in 1 John chapter 3 for pretty much the whole time, and we were looking at um, you know, some, some things that we're looking at was who calls us a child of God last week. We looked at the Father does. The Father calls us a child of God in 2 Corinthians 6.18. The Son calls us a child of God. Jesus called us his brothers and sisters in Hebrews 2.11. The Spirit calls us his children in Romans 8.16. We looked at what it would look like for God to be our Father, to how it would look like to, for us to treat strangers of the world and to treat, treat other Christians as well. And what it looks like to either abide in sin or to abide in God, because we can only be abiding in one of those areas. So today we're going to be in 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. Anybody want to read verses 1 through 12? I can. Okay, a few more seconds. small book right near the end of the Bible. Alright, go for it. First John chapter 5, 1-12. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Messiah has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father also loves the one born of Him. This is how we know that we love God's children when we love God and obey His commands. For this is what love for God is, to keep His commands. Now his commands are not a burden, because whatever has been born of God conquers the world. This is the victory that has been conquered. This is the victory that has conquered the world, our faith. And who is the one who conquers the world but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Jesus Christ. He is the one who came by water and blood, not by water only, but by water and blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are the three that testify, the spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three are in agreement. If we accept the testimony of men, God's testimony is greater because it is God's testimony that he has given about his son. The one who believes in the son of God has this entire testimony within him. The one who does not believe in God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony of God has given about his son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life in, is in his Son. The one who has the Son has life. The one who doesn't have the Son of God does not have life. Cool. Thank you. All right, before we dive in, any over, overall questions, comments, thoughts, concerns, anything stand out? Remember the last Bible study, we talked about how if you don't like if like if you believe in God or you're a child of God then you won't or it says that like, you won't sin but then chapter one says like it's more so like where your heart is but like then this verse is just straight up saying if you believe that Jesus Christ is born of God then you are of then you are of God or that you are whatever 
Yeah, so it's like, a, I don't know. I just thought it was pretty cool. Okay. Any other thoughts? Yeah, like you have to believe in order to be called a child of God. Um, it's just interesting to just think about, like, how I personally came to that belief of, yeah, you know, Jesus is the Christ, and I want to be his child. I want to love him like he loved me, and then be able to love other people and really change, you know, my life. Um, like in verse 2, it says, we, we know we love God's children if we love God and obey his commandments. So it's not just believing, but you also have to obey, and there's you know, ways to get closer to him. Um, yeah. Cool. Anyone else? Alright, let's look at verse 1. Let's go through it little by little. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his children too. That first sentence, what does that mean? Anyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God. In non-Christianese, speaking to someone who's never heard of the gospel, isn't around modern time, talking to someone out in the Amazon who's never heard the name Jesus Christ before, what does this first sentence mean? mean that everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is a child of God? Huh? No? Why not? Because, I don't know, I just think about, like, the enemy, how, you know, he knows, or believes, but, like, he doesn't believe his heart. Okay. <laughs> or invite. I'll come right back to that. Yeah. So yeah. my ESV study Bible uh, says everyone who believes that the word that underscoring underscores that saving uh, saving faith has a particular content it is not vague a vague religious commitment but a wholehearted trust in the saving work of Christ everyone who believes has been born of God regeneration precedes faith um, and then it references 
uh, chapter 2, verse 29, chapter 3, verse 9, chapter 4, verse 7, and then um, Ephesians 2, 5. So it references some of the parts, which if you do look back, John has been talking about um, like obedience this entire chapter, obedience and love and things like that. Um, and now he's getting to faith. So like just remembering the context of what John is speaking with, like he's already assuming that you're being obedient to, and listening to the first four chapters. John, I'm going to give you eight Ben points for, for bringing up what I was about to say next. And no, she didn't see my notes. I did not. James, so, yeah, the quest, so the first sentence, right, it sounds pretty self-explanatory. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his children too. So that first sentence, it sounds pretty self-explanatory. Everyone who believes child of God, right? Seems pretty simple. So, if you believe, you're a child of God. If you believe, you're a child of God. If you believe, you're a child of God. If you don't believe, you're not a child of God, right? Sounds pretty simple. But Yana brought up a good point. The enemy believes, right? The demons know. James 2.19 You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. I'm going to read it in the way that I imagine James saying this. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Good for you! Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. I don't know, maybe maybe he's not intended to be that snarky, but that's how I that's how I read it. Good for you! Even the demons believe. So what? It means nothing to just believe and know that he is the Messiah, that he's the one. It means nothing. What does it matter? The demons even know it. The ones who is trying to tell you that it's not true, they know it's true. So clearly that that doesn't matter. That's not the key part. So this belief is a belief that causes you to surrender your life to Jesus as your Lord, your creator and owner. A belief that keeps on believing and keeps on surrendering to your Lord. If you do this, then you're born of God. In other words, you're God's child. Demons believe and know who Jesus is, but they haven't allowed Jesus to change them, and they haven't accepted him as their Savior and Lord. That's the, that's what actually matters. I believe, I'm a child of God. The demons believe, but they're not a child of God. The difference is, do you allow that belief to affect your everything, or is it just head knowledge? Because for the, demon, for the demons, it's just head knowledge. They know who he is. That's why they tremble. That's why when Jesus says, get out of this man, the demons flee. They don't say, well, can I just stay here for like one? They, they obey. They have no choice but to obey. But being born of God should have, should have you know, a few effects. It should... Um, It's assumed that we love God because we're born again into his family. And it's also assumed that we'll love others who are of him, our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what it's talking about here. Everyone who loves the Father loves his children too. Yeah, last week we were talking about Garrett, you were 
starting to hit on it, and I forgot all that, but that was a, that was a, a critical part last week. Um, what was it that you were saying recently? It was about, like, so last week you talked about, like, how you, I think it was in Chapter 3, it says... The Old Testament, it just, just it says different things, so it's hard to. It was pretty. Well, I'll paraphrase. It was saying like, if we truly are children of God, then we will not sin. If we sin, then clearly you don't know Jesus enough to. Then you don't. Then. Then I then I asked the question. I said, so is anyone in the, even in this room a child of God? Mm-hmm. Because then you brought me back to the chapter one of First John. I think it's right in the beginning of it. It says. Um, Verse eight. Yeah, verse 8 says, if we, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Yeah. And then I think in Haley's, because she has the Passion Bible, and that one just gives a whole, like, I mean, that's like half the Bible. Half the Passion Bible is just footnotes. Mm-hmm. So it was saying about the repetitiveness of what John was saying added to it. It wasn't so much it was you're not just because you because you say you're a child of God doesn't mean you'll never sin, but it means you won't you be have, you have, exactly. You're not you're like you don't like go kill someone and say, well, I'm justified. God said I was allowed to kill that person. Yeah. Or did he? That's that's what it was. It was and it was in verse six of chapter three that we were really on last week of. Anyone who continues to live in him will not sin. But anyone who keeps on sinning does not know him or understand who he is. And we were talking about last week. That doesn't mean if you sin, you can't be with him and you don't know who God is. That's not what it's saying. It's saying if you live in sin, if you abide by mm-hmm. sin, if you continue, if you have a habit, habitual, habitually sinning and are a slave to sin, basically, then you don't know Christ and he doesn't know you. Not if you sin once, you're done for. So the same thing that we see here in, in the chapter 5. It's not just the belief that makes you a child of God. It's the belief and the surrender that makes you a child of God. Alright, verse 2. We know we love God's children if we love God and obey His commandments. Someone want to break that down a little bit? we love God's children if we love God and obey his commandments. Loving God means keeping his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. I think it's cool that um, it talks about like obeying here, but also includes like the commandments, but um, know that once you know Jesus died on the cross for us we don't have to um, necessarily like you know like do the whole offering thing with animals and do all the law stuff from back in the day um, we still have the Ten Commandments that Moses wrote um, we still have 
that, but like, it's it's different now. It's a different type of obeying and commandments that we have now. It's not this whole law thing and that you have to do the 600 and blah, blah, blah stuff. Um, yeah, it's like commandments with grace. So what are the commandments that we have now that we have to obey? would be such a shift in thought at that period of time to have those 613 laws, most of them man-made, and the Ten Commandments given from God, and man said, this isn't clear enough. We need an additional 603 rules on top of this to make sure we know what to do and what not to do. So man, Pharisees, Sadducees, created 613 laws saying, do this, don't do this, you can't do this on this day during this time, can't do that during that day when this person touched you who did this and who did that and didn't do this. Ridiculous, exhausting, burdensome would be the, probably the best word to use, burdensome. So here he is saying, loving God means keeping his commandments. Love God, love people. And keeping his commandments are not burdensome. How difficult was it for everyone today to not kill someone? Was it easy or difficult? Uh, maybe for the most part easy having yeah. a few people on the road that you know push you push the boundaries but <laughs> All right, we can go down the list of, of the other ten commandments that we had from Moses and we can look at you know loving God and loving people and this sounds super easy it sounds like okay cool I just don't have to you know just not kill people don't lie to people don't do this don't do that <laughs> but what does it look like to really love someone I think I would take it in a slightly different direction in the way that sin is very, very temporary. Um, sin only feels good for a very, very short period of time. And the burden of sin is death, right? Like it's just, it is a crushing, debilitating weight that you have no ability to combat. Whereas, um, it is 
more work not to sin, but the freedom that you experience in that obedience is freedom um, and not debilitating burden. So it's, it's the kind of contrast of the, of the freedom. It's not that freedom doesn't require work. It's that the freedom, well, man, we're getting into so many things. So many churches have split over this exact thing. But the idea is that um, the freedom that you experience is despite requiring fruit and work on your end is an immense relief of weight that you couldn't even bear, if that makes any sense. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. Yeah, cool, good talk. Almost, almost like somebody else said it better than I could. <laughs> well, I like the idea of the yoke because the yoke was something that was given to farm animals to work. I mean, it wasn't like yeah. you were given a yoke. Hey, here, carry this large wooden thing on your neck and just walk around. That's going to be super easy. Mm-hmm. No, it was work, but Jesus is saying, my yoke, if there's, there's two different yokes in the world. You can either put a really big heavy yoke on you or you can have my yoke, which is without burden. Not saying it's not without work, but it's not going to be as hard as you trying to do it by yourself. Mm-hmm. Let me let me share some of this yoke with you. Let me walk with you. Submit to me and my yoke, or you can try to submit yourselves to the world's yoke and see how far that gets you. Mm-hmm. See how see how far that master will not feed you, not give you water. Like like some people would push animals to that extent. They wouldn't do this now, and you don't get fed. Do that. Jesus says, no matter what, you're getting fed. No matter what, you're being saved. No matter what, you will have freedom. But make that choice. How much easier is for Jesus to change you than for you to change the world alone? Mm-hmm. I think we try to make love real complicated. God didn't say, go save every single human being out there now. He said, just love them. Like if someone's having a heart, love them. Don't, you don't got to give them a mansion or anything. Just love them. Just love them. So I think, but as humans, and I'm at fault all the time, because I feel like the way the world falls up, like Garrick doesn't do this one thing, the whole world's ending, or Garrick's going to hell because he didn't do this one thing that I felt, well, this is going to impact this person's life beyond recognition. They're going to be like, man, Garrick helped me out. But they're not. It's not, it's not going to work. Love is very easy. Love is very simple. Yeah, I think you guys all hit it right on the point. His commandments are not burdensome. You can see how wise and good the commandments are from God. That the gifts from him show us the best and most fulfilling life possible. It's exactly just like what you were saying. Like it it's not just like do it because you have to, but like it gives us the it gives us so much more freedom to obey those rules than to not. God's commands are essentially the manufacturer's handbook for life. He tells us what to do because he knows how we work best. God's commands are not given to bind us or to pain us, but because, or, that didn't make sense where I was going with that. Um, 
finished it and you had your creation, what, what did you have by the end? What would you make? Probably pretty sure it was like a like messed up pitcher. <laughs> or a messed up cup. Uh, it was not very good. <laughs> or a bowl or something like that, right? Yeah. How many of us ever, <laughs> how many of us ever, you know, finished making something and then the thing you just created said, no, I'm not a cup. I'm a baseball bat. <laughs> I'm a... It wasn't that kind of picture. I'm a farm. <laughs> so sorry. <laughs> right? You, you don't... The creator doesn't create something and know what the intention is for that creation. And then the creation speak back and say, this isn't what I'm for. This isn't what I was made for. Actually, I'm for this. Like, no. I created you. I know what you're intended for. I know what you're designed to do. I don't know if that's just a stupid analogy or maybe no, a good analogy. I don't know. It's in the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> it's a really good analogy, except when it turned out really bad. I said, no, I'm just a lump and I'm going to get thrown back in the next year to be something else. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that, yeah, that is. Um, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this. Little part, it's pretty short, and yes, you are right, it is in the Bible. Okay, good. In Jeremiah 18, God created something he wanted to show Jeremiah. So he told Jeremiah, Go and see a potter. Jeremiah walks into the potter's home and sees that the vase the potter is spinning on his wheel is imperfect, and you know, it's imperfect. But the potter keeps working on that vase. He keeps spinning the wheel and reshaping the clay and makes it into a new, perfectly symmetrical vase. Right then, God speaks, saying to Jeremiah, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter has done? Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so you are in my hand, O house of Israel. That's Jeremiah 18.6. You and I are works in progress. Clay on the wheel. Sometimes we get become imperfect and misshapen. But we're in the hands of the ultimate potter. He's able to shape even the most messed up lump of clay to something beautiful. And he never stops working on us. And if you're feeling unfinished or lopsided or imperfect or asymmetrical, you can run to your potter, trusting in his hands that he has you in his hands that he'll keep reshaping you more and more into what he wants you to be. And that he knows what you're intended for. And there are lots of passages throughout the Bible about, you know, God being the potter and we're kind of this lump of clay. A few different passages talk about that. Um, don't know how I got to this point. But anyway. I think it's pretty cool that you just, when you were talking about the clay, and I, I don't know if this, this is just Gary thought here. Love when it. Jesus spits, well, no, when Jesus spits in the dirt or the clay, and he spits and he makes, he just starts mixing it in his hands and then rubs it on the guy's face mm -hmm. and says, go wash your face, now go wash, and he, then he can see. It just made me think of, because I've done some pottery, but not on a wheel, but I've done pottery, and like if there was an imperfection, I would get a little bit of clay, smear it on, yeah. And then take water and wash it to make it smooth again. So I just thought, if you're making, I didn't know there was that many. I thought that was like, I didn't know there was that many connections with pottery and clay and everything. But I just I thought, thought about that. Water. I was like, 
Yeah. Maybe he was, that's just another, he was a potter making clay and he rubbed clay on the imperfection. Yeah. And made the imperfection clear again. That's really that good. Pretty cool. I like that. And how much, like, that goes against the complete opposite of what we would think of what to do. Like, hey, I can't see. Oh, let me put something on your eyes that would actually hinder and hurt you from seeing. <laughs> but it's like, but that doesn't make any sense, said the potter of clay. And the potter is like, trust me. You put more clay on something and it gave it vision as opposed to blocking it and hurting their eyes even more. Good, good hearing. Alright. Verse 4. Let's keep going a little bit. For every child of God defeats this evil world, and we achieve this victory through our faith. And who can win this battle against the world? Only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Sorry, no, I actually went back to one other thing in verse 3. Loving God means keeping His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. Who here would rather... Oh, never mind, scratch that question. <laughs> I was making a statement. It's a lot easier to do something for someone you love than someone you don't love. Right? If Yana asked me to do the dishes... I don't enjoy doing the dishes, but I'll do it because I love Yana. But if I'm just walking down the street, for whatever reason, I'm just going to be walking down the street and some random person says, hey, come wash my dishes, <laughs> it would be burdensome. I wouldn't want to do it. Mm. Their dishes might be gross and their sponge hasn't been changed in three years and Ooh. their house smells and whatever. <laughs> I wouldn't want to do it. Stupid example, but there you go. Same with anything else, right? If if Yana said her car broke down and she needed a ride to work, I needed to wake up a little bit earlier so I could get her to work before I have to be at work, it wouldn't be a burden to me because I love her. So I'll do it out of love. But if someone I don't like and wouldn't necessarily want to spend time with calls me and is like, hey, my car broke down today. Can you give me a ride to work? I'd be like, I don't even like you. I don't want to spend time. <laughs> extra time to go out of my way to now I have to wake up earlier Ugh, throws off everything I get even less sleep I don't get to do this in the morning I got to spend more gas and more time to pick you up I don't want to have conversation with you but now I'm forced to have an awkward conversation with you in the car small talk drop you off then more gas get to work and where I'm going to be it'd be a burden 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 <laughs> Went from burdens, burdensome to just burden. I was confused. It'd be a burden. Burden my hands were one chamber. It would be a burden because I don't love that person, because I don't like that person, right? But for someone, anyone in this room, I would gladly help out. Your car broke down. But someone that I don't necessarily like, I wouldn't really want to go out of my way and literally go the extra mile and take them drive them and because I don't love them. I don't have the same love for them. And that's what it should be with God. That's what he's saying here. That's what John's saying. Loving God and keeping his commandments it's not a burden. 
because we love God and He loves us and we should have this relationship with each other to where if God says, hey, show some love to that person, then be, uh, I don't want to. I just don't feel like it. I don't have the time. I don't have the energy. I don't have the whatever resource. Or I just don't want to give it to them. Right? It just feel like a burden when God says, like, oh, do this to some. It shouldn't. It shouldn't because there should be that love for God. Just like with, you know, maybe a family member or a significant other or whoever, a friend. It's not a burden when they ask you for help because you have that relationship. You have that love for each other. In Genesis 29, 18, um, Jacob worked for Laban for seven years. Um, his eventual father-in-law because he loved Rachel and he had to work for him for seven years to be able to essentially receive Rachel as his wife. But to him, it wasn't a burden. Because of how much love he had for this girl, he's like, I will work for my future protector father-in-law for seven years so that I can marry her because I have that much love for her. Imagine having so much love for God that God love that God asks you to do a favor or to do something or to love on your enemy or to love on someone you just really don't like or that coworker who always gets on your nerve or that person who's just the unlovables, you know? But that doesn't feel like a burden because you have love for God. say anywhere in the Bible to where there's a limit to that love? Like, because it says, like, um, like when someone punch, like, if you if someone hits you on the right cheek, turn it on the left. If someone sues you for your coat, give them your cloak as well. If someone asks you to walk one mile, walk two. If someone asks you for this, give them more. But is there anywhere else in the Bible where it tells you stop loving? Or should like you know what I mean? What do you think? Like homeless people. He said, "Give me this." How much am I giving this person? How much am I to love this person? Am I just supposed to give everything I have to them, or am I supposed to have preserved? Or or should I lean on my own understanding and my own provision? Or should I trust in God that I that He's just going to provide? You know what I mean? Like where? Because like this show, I me personally, I have is. Whether or not it's the enemy or it's God talking to me, which one? What's for? Is it or is it Gehrig's, um, either past trauma or anything else saying, "Well, you got you got to you got to please him. You got to please him. You got to you got to keep going. You got you got to love him. God says love him, so you got to love him." Is that just a what what who who is pushing? Is that yeah. God saying that? Let me ask you this: How does Jesus tell us to love people? And what else? Love others as, as I have loved you. 
does Jesus love us? Unconditionally. Unconditionally. Non stop. And to what extent does Jesus love us? Infinitely. Mm -hmm. To the point of death on a cross. Mm -hmm. So now, I would say there's no limit. Because Jesus said, it wasn't a parable, he just said, Love others as I have loved you. How did he love us? Unconditionally, die on a cross. So if the enemy is, if you think it's the enemy saying, hey, give that homeless person a hundred dollars. Well, not just like, I'm talking like everything. Mm -hmm. Like, that's what I'm like, where's like the, where's the stop where like, because I mean, technically, we, I could empty out my entire bank account and just give it to him. Mm -hmm. I mean, I sure, but like, where's, it's, it's a lot easier you know what, like, I don't know, everything. or is it all about money, or should I come to my house, be hosp hospitality, mm -hmm. should I invite them into my home, you know, like, I don't, I'm just always wondering. There's a difference between loving someone and helping someone. And being a yes. crutch on for them, like, mm -hmm. should I let them fall, or like, is it, you, but like, I don't, I, I don't know how to wrestle with that, yeah. I don't know how to determine, I don't know if I have the, like, I don't know. There's also something in the Bible somewhere, someone telling me where this is. That's why I'm wondering if there's a verse that backs something else other than just there, give everything and absolutely all. There is a verse that says, uh, you know, the homeless should work for their food, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so there's a difference between a handout and a helping hand for a step up, right? Um, it's one thing if they're making an effort and you're helping them take that next step and, and build their life. It's another thing for someone just sitting on the couch day after day after day and hey here's another 20 for groceries here's another 20 for gas here's another 20 for something else but what have they done kind of like the guy that, never mind I, thought like, the guy. I, I think I think love and then, uh, yeah I think it's hard to just say you know like if someone asks like hey can I have you know a thousand dollars because I'm, I'm in some debt or I need some help with this like mm -hmm. loving them doesn't always mean saying yes God loves us, and a lot of times the answer to our prayers is no, we're not yet. Mm -hmm. Loving doesn't just mean giving them what they ask for. Mm -hmm. So if an addict says, you know, give me another bottle or, or give me some more drugs, or money, love me, show me some love, and give me what I want and what I'm asking for. I want to be loved. Mm -hmm. Loving them is giving them what they need, not what they want. So if God gave us everything that we wanted, that wouldn't be love. That'd be a genie. Yeah. So I, I think there is that line of. If a homeless person's like, hey, I've got nowhere to stay, you know, can I come to your house? And, you know, that's a discernment thing. That's between, you know, you and yeah. God and, you know, also a safety thing. If God is saying do it, you should probably do it. Um, but, you know, if this, you see this person has guns and knives on them and, you got you know, children at home. You got children at home. Yeah. Loving them might be saying no, because you also have a responsibility to love your family and to protect mm -hmm. them as well. I'm not gonna say it's always just a, a right or wrong or a black and white answer of like this is how you do it. This is how you love someone. Yeah. I was thinking about the, when when Joseph was talking about the uh, like, well, are they giving that effort? It's kind of like I just thought I just came to mind about uh, the man at the well. As you said, pick up your mat and walk. He kind of like he was there. He could have healed every single person in that well, but he went to this man and said, pick up your mat and walk. So we had to make up that choice to actually do something. Pick up his mat. And
also a responsibility that follows that. Because now he's not a crippled beggar. Mm-hmm. Now he's not going to get that handout anymore. Okay. Right? Mm-hmm. Now he has to actually go do something with his life. Right? Mm-hmm. So it doesn't talk about that, but. 100%. That follows. Alright, let's look at verse 7. Uh, 6 and 7. It's all kind of the same thing right there. And Jesus Christ was revealed as God's Son by his baptism in water and by shedding his blood on the cross. Not by water only, but by water and blood. And the Spirit, who is truth, confirms it with his testimony. So we have these three witnesses, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And all three agree. What? Huh? What's going on? stuff made sense and now what's it talking about well so my notes and I'm working on turning back to them it was talking about how the water most likely is a symbol for his baptism by John the Baptist um, and then the blood is his sacrifice on the cross and then um, what's the other one it's talking about water blood and spirit and the spirit would be the like uh, the descent of the dove during his baptism. Anyhow, that was what mine said. I don't know that I fully buy into that. It feels more like a Trinity kind of thing. But yeah, hold yeah. on. Here, here's what it says. Three that testify. The gospel is not based merely on human testimony. John indicates that there are in fact three that testify. Namely, the witness of the Spirit, the water baptism of Jesus, including the Spirit descending on him like a dove, and the voice of the Father from heaven, and the blood which cleanses us from all unrighteousness, these three agree, thereby providing persuasive confirmation for believing in Jesus as the Son of God. The Old Testament taught that every charge must be confirmed by two or three witnesses, a principle continued in the New Testament. Anyhow. Oh, and then it says here, it says, most likely refers to Jesus' baptism by John the Baptist, that's water. Blood signifies Christ's atoning death on the cross. The Spirit is the one who testifies. Um, The structure of this verse emphasizes that it is the characteristic work of the Holy Spirit to bear witness to the fact that Christ came. It is the inward work of the Spirit in the heart of the believers to to convict of sin and to open their eyes to see the truth of who Christ is and to understand the meaning of his atoning death for their sins. Likewise, the indwelling presence of the Spirit is given to abide in believers and to teach them the truth of God's word. That's a lot of words to say basically, but I summed up pretty good, I think. So Yeah, so I think we hit the mark on all that. <laughs> uh, just to go back to what you said about Jacob and Rachel, I wanted to go back uh, to see what it said, but just to com- confirm what you were talking about. So Genesis 29, 20 says, So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. And so, like, Aww. just to, yeah. <laughs> so that, that always stuck out to me is because it like, it's like, man, time skips. And then it's it's not even a question because if you're not familiar with land, Jacob, um, he ends up giving him his other daughter, and then he's like, all right, I'll, but like in the 
literally. Uh, so when he when he gives him, he gives him uh, just a few verses later. He's like, "What did you What have you done for me? Did I not serve you for Rachel?" And he's like, "Well, it's our custom to give away the other the oldest daughter first, and being a buffoon." And then um, he he says, uh, "Complete the week of this one, and we will give you the other also in return for serving another seven years." Jacob did so and completed her week. Then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife, and like you just. It wasn't even the, really a question. He's like, yeah, okay, another seven years. I'm, I'm in. Um, and just, yeah, just yeah. the remarkable aspect of that. That's a deep love. Mm. Yeah. That it's those seven years of working, he's like, I'm just talking for a few days, but I'm working towards something that's worth it. I'm working for this love. Not working for the love. Working because of the love. summed up and this is what God has testified he has given us eternal life and this life is in his son whoever has the son has life whoever does not have the son does not have life I like when something is so simple but then they say it both ways just to like really make it plain and clear you have the son you have life you don't have the son you don't have life yeah it's like hey we're going to make sure that these Venn diagrams are separate there's no overlap here's exactly how it goes So, if I had to ask someone to sum it up, what does it mean to be a child of God? There's no right or wrong answer I'm looking for. What does it mean to be a child of God? What does it look like to be a child of God? What is it? How do you act? If you are a child of God. Faith in Jesus Christ, obedience to his commands. Um, yeah, love and obedience. I always like to like he's like back pocket like he's like you pull him out when I want him, but he's like oh, he's there. He's, you depend fully like you, you like when you wake up you're like, God, I'm not gonna make it through today if you're not with me. If you're not with me, I don't know what, what's gonna end up. If I'm not in your word, I don't know where it's gonna end up. I feel it all the time. If I'm not in the word or I'm not, if I'm not feeling good. It's probably a product of me. Distance from God. Exactly. He didn't go anywhere. He's always He's there. there. He just, yeah. You're not. You didn't recognize it. Yes. You didn't. Kind of drifting away. Cool. Anyone else? Um, through all this, what does it mean to be a child of God? What does it look like to be a child of God? How does anything change, or what is your life? How How do you go about tomorrow? are a child of God and what it means to be a child of God? Or how do you how do you bring that aspect into each of your everyday job titles? Um, verse 4 and 5 really um, stood out to me as I read it again because there's this one person in my life that I have been dealing with for a long time and it really sucks to see the 
relationship that it has turned into um, and I want it to change but when it's only one person um, doing all the not doing all the work but at least trying to do the work in order to you know reconcile and whatever um, it can be really hard and then the, and the other person is always using words or actions in different ways um, and it's always intentionally being evil and putting you down and all that so it was a good reminder to that like for every child of God um, for every child of God defeats this evil world and we've achieved this victory through our faith and who can win this battle against the world only those who believe that Jesus is the son of God so to believe that like I am a child of God and because of that I can defeat this um, you know circumstance that's going on and hopefully I can get to a point where whatever this person does or say whatever or believes about me um, I'll get to a point where it doesn't affect me anymore regardless of how close this person is supposed to be with to me um, but yeah it's really hard like like Gary was saying whenever he feels distant from God it's like something isn't right and you know constantly feel that too every day um, but then when you don't see change you're like doing the work and you don't see change you're like okay I don't feel more motivated anymore I just want to give up because nothing's gonna change but this was good reminder like I am a child of God and I can defeat this I can overcome this one day at a time Just a reminder from John 16, 33. And, and to go along with what you're just saying about being an overcomer, you know, overcoming the world. Um, John 16, 33 says, In this world you will have tribulation, you will have trials. But be oh, this word again. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. You know, it's it's a promise. You're gonna have troubles. You're not, you know, following God, following Jesus doesn't mean everything is rainbows and butterflies. You will have troubles. It's a promise from Jesus. You will have tribulations in this world, guaranteed. But I have overcome the world. All the trials, everything to come, Jesus already conquered it all. children for bringing us into your family through Jesus that, uh, that that we can all join together here as brothers and sisters of Christ because Christ has uh, made us one, has, has brought us into the family thank you for allowing us to be your children for bringing us into um, yeah, sonship and daughtership and allowing us to to take part in these great victories and, and knowing that you have overcome the world already and that we get to 
share in that victory. Help us just to be reminded of this, of, of you know, our identity, of, of who we are, of who you've called us to be, that we are your creation. We don't get to decide who we are and, and, and what we're intended for, that you are the ultimate potter, and you have formed us for a unique reason, each one of us for a specific reason here, and that we're all not just a um, spat out object from a cookie cutter that you have individually crafted, each one of us, for a unique purpose. Help us to be reminded of that every day. Um, and help us to be able to tune into you and your voice and to, to what you call us to do every day. Thank you for your love. Thank you for who you are and who you created us to be. Hey, thanks for listening. It's always a good time in God's premises with us. I hope you've enjoyed it and that you tune in again for the next episode of the Monday Night Godcast.